0: We're in this uh, new series called the blood covenant and I've already had a lot of fun uh, with this. I hope that you have too. Um, Brock Lindenfelter did such a great job as my covenant partner uh, last week, but we may need to watch him. He's uh, starting to take advantage of this relationship already. He's starting to name drop and stuff like that. And he said, Yay, do you know who is my blood brother? This guy right here. And may have to keep him in line church, but, uh, and that reminds me Brock, since everything is mine is yours and yours is mine. I need to use your truck for a while. <laughs> Mine's in the shop and I really need that truck. So, um, so we're going to do a, a quick review over these, uh, steps of the blood covenant that we went over last week. I encourage you, um, to go to our website or to our YouTube site. Uh, Not so sure where Facebook is at this moment. Um, So go ahead and listen to that message again, and it will help refresh all of these things in your mind of what these steps are. But we're going to go through these real quickly here this morning to refresh them today. Uh, So uh, the first step is the exchange of anybody remember? robes the exchange of robes and that's where the two covenantal partners would exchange our outer garments and that was to kind of confuse our identities to to meld our identities to together so if brock was my covenant partner and i was wearing his outer garment people might think Uh, that was him when they see me, or they might think that it was me when they see him. And we're just exchanging our identities where two are becoming one. The second one is the exchange of belts. The exchange of belts and the two covenantal partners would take their, their belts off and they would exchange them with one another. And if you remember a belt during those times would uh, container would carry a lot more than just holding up your jeans on a Sunday morning, right? And so your belt would have your tools and it's kind of like your, your bat belt and it would have your sword and, and your tools and all those things on it. And so we would exchange that, that belt and it was uh, to symbolize our exchange of our strengths, that everything that I had to offer Brock, I will give to him and everything that he has to offer, he will give to me. The third step is the exchange of weapons. And so I would take my sword and I would give it to Brock. He would give his sword to me and it was to symbolize that we are exchanging enemies. And so if you ever want to miss with me, you have to go through Brock Lindenfelser first. And if you ever want to miss with Brock, you have to go through me first. One of us has a better end of that deal. I won't tell you who it is. But it's to say that whoever is your enemy is now my enemy, and I have your back, and I'm going to do everything that I can uh, to protect you and to be with you and to make sure that nobody misses with you. The fourth one is the sacrificial animal, and this is where a sacrificial animal, a a cow, um, a sheep, something like that would be sacrificed. Remember, they would cut that animal in half and lay the two halves on either side. And it was just to, to symbolize that, uh, remember, this is the blood covenant. And so the blood was spilled here. And it's just to symbolize uh, this strength of this covenant that it is forever, that it is lifelong, that if something should happen to this covenant, may this happen to me right? The fifth step there is the walk of death. And the walk of death uh, is really, you know, remember we had these two different uh, uh, halves of the animal that was sacrificed and the two covenantal partners would walk through the halves of the, the animal. And if you remember, they were walking in this figure eight kind of a shape. And it was to symbolize that this covenant is for infinity, that it doesn't end. In fact, we're going to realize here that it goes generation after generation after generation. And so the covenants that were made in the old Testament are still our covenants today. And so uh, they Extend to us, but that also means that they're going to extend into eternity, that God will still have us when we are with him in heaven. The sixth one is the striking of hands. remember this is also the mark on the body to signify that you are in a covenant relationship with somebody else, and during those times they would uh, make a cut on their wrist and remember they would they would shake hands and the, the they would say that their blood is intermingling with that other person. The, the blood that came from me is now going through Brock's veins and vice versa. But it was also that sign. If I were to wave at you and you saw this scar on my wrist, you knew that I was in covenant with somebody. You would see that scar, right? We see in the Old Testament that that mark on the body isn't on the wrist, the Old Testament is circumcision. And uh, we will talk about that later as well. Um, number seven is the pronouncement of blessings and curses. And we're, we really just sang about that just a little while ago, right? May these blessings be on your children and their children and their children. Uh, May you be blessed when you get up. May you be blessed when you lie down. May you be blessed when you come and blessed when you go. And so we pronounce all these blessings on one another as covenantal partners. But we'd also say, if I should ever break this covenant, may what happened to this animal happen to me. And so we're pronouncing curses on ourselves as well the eighth is the covenantal meal. And it just wouldn't be a simple little meal. It would be this big, huge party, sometimes three, four, five days, because this is such a huge deal in that culture uh, that they would have this big party. And during that time, the two covenantal partners would feed one another. We know that that made Brock so comfortable last week as he got to feed me my chocolate chip cookie for our covenant. So, but it was to signify that not only is our blood intermingled, but I am now part of you. And and you are now part of me to signify that, or symbolize that. The ninth one is to exchange our names. And we still do this today when, when a husband and wife are, are married and we exchange that name. And uh, so my name, if I had a covenant with Brock, my name would be Brian Lindenfeltzer Etok, And I would take on his name as well. The 10th one is still to be announced. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We're gonna discuss why that is so important. That is the biggest step of this entire covenant. And perhaps you're already predicting what all these steps have to do with us. So, before we uh, discover that at the end of our sermon today, we need to spend some time looking at how this covenant plays out in the Old Testament. And while I speak about the Old Testament, this Old Covenant, I want you to try to think of what this has to do with us today. How is the Old Covenant's also part of the new covenant that you and I are part of today that that is mentioned in the New Testament. So try to figure that out yourself as we go along. There are actually about five or six uh, covenants in the Old Testament, and we don't have time to go into all of them. We're just going to look at three of them, and we really only have time to go through part of each of them. Um, Honestly, this is such a deep study that it would take us forever and go through so many details. I think we all get bored eventually if we went over all of it. So, the very first covenant in the Bible is actually with the first people that could have had covenant with God. And that is between God and His creation, God and Adam. And you probably know this story, even if you didn't grow up in church, God created the world and he took six days to do it. And in one of those days, he creates mankind. And the first man was named Adam. And Adam, is a very fitting name because the Hebrew meaning for Adam is actually mankind. So God has created the first man. He has created mankind. The first man is Adam, the first woman is Eve, and they live in this Garden of Eden. They live in this paradise, and they have everything they would ever need there. It's perfect. And it's so perfect that right from the very beginning, God gives them this first rule, and He tells them just be fruitful and multiply. That's it. That's their job so far. Um, We know what the multiply part is. That's easy to figure out, but what does he mean for them to be fruitful? God then gives them some more instructions, and I think he is kind of laying this out of what being fruitful looks like. In Genesis 2.15, he said, God placed man in the garden to tend it and to guard it. And so right at the very beginning of creation, mankind needs to tend the land, now, what I was taught when I was in Sunday school, and my Sunday school teacher laid out the creation story on flannel graph. Anybody else here with me? And she would put, you know, the, the Adam and Eve on the flannel graph with the perfectly placed fig leaf, right? You know what I'm talking about? And she would explain it to me um, that Adam and Eve didn't have to tend the land until after the curse, until after they have sinned or the fall of mankind. But that's not the case. God, from the very beginning, tells them that you need to tend the land and to guard it. Things weren't just growing in some magical fairy land in the Garden of Eden. Even the Garden of Eden is going to require work, but it also needs someone to guard it. And we think, uh, we believe the garden was just some utopia, right, that required no work and all Adam and Eve needed to do was eat and multiply. And that was the only thing they ever had to do. But it's not the case. God said you need to guard this. From who? From what? What would you guard the Garden of Eden from? If God and them were the only ones there, Who are you guarding it from? So enter into the story, the serpent, the devil, Satan, our enemy. And even when things are at their best, even when it seems like you have everything together, even when it seems like things are perfect, you have to remember, just like Adam and Eve, that there is work to be done and there is an enemy to guard your work from. So remember, God also tells them they can eat from any plant they want to in this garden. All the plants and all the fruit and trees are fair game except for one. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so now we start to see this first covenant in the Old Testament between Adam and and God, or if you wish, between God and mankind. God is saying, if you do this, in this case, if you don't do this, Adam, you're going to be blessed. But if you do this, if you eat from this tree, then you're going to be cursed. So remember that if two parties enter into a covenant, it's going to be this life changing experience for them. A covenant is a huge deal. And a covenant would change not only the people involved, but also everything around them. A covenant would even have a long lasting effect where it changes the course of history. So God tells Adam that if he eats from this forbidden tree, that he is going to die. And well, if that's true, then I think Adam also knew the opposite has to be true, that if he didn't eat from the tree, if he does keep this covenant, then he will never die. And so God was asking Adam, do you trust me? Do you trust that I am the judge of what is good and, and what is evil? Do you trust that I am the one to decide of what is right and what is wrong? Do you believe, Adam, that I am the dispenser of truth and faithful justice? Or Adam, or mankind? Do you think that you should sit on the judgment seat instead? So Adam, eat from any tree that you want. But from that tree, Adam, leave it alone unless you feel like you can do a better job. Unless you think you know better than I. The one who created you. And he asks us the same thing today. And this is our first covenant, the endemic covenant. And I know as you read this account of, of this covenant and some of the other ones, we're not going to see every single step. We're not going to see all 10 steps contained there. Last week I was asked a very good question What happens if you didn't go through all 10 steps? Is a covenant still valid? It's a great question, and frankly, I don't know. I still don't know yet. Uh, I do know that the covenants in the Bible don't contain all of the steps from this cultural blood covenant of the day. It doesn't mean that these steps weren't done. Uh, Perhaps they just weren't recorded. But as we open up Scripture, we're going to see that, yeah, there's probably a lot more steps there than we ever really realized. And I know that some of these things you might on the service say. Now that's probably a little far fetched. I, I don't quite understand that. Of where he is, he reaching here. But remember that we are looking at God's word through our culture. We are looking at God's uh, word through a Western uh, interpretation of the Bible, and we are looking at it from people who have lost that covenantal experience. And so some of these things might seem strange to us, but I wonder if we were in that culture, if we were familiar with the covenant, if these things would, we would recognize more of it in scripture. And as I've grown more familiar with the covenant, I'm starting to make some connections along the way. For example, one of the steps of the covenant is the sacrificial animal, right? And that was made, actually, this step we'll see after Adam and Eve already break the covenant. And we'll see in the story of creation that Adam and Eve were naked in the Garden of Eden until they sinned. And once they sinned, their sinfulness needed to be covered. And so how did God do that? He did it through one of the steps of the blood covenant. He did it through the sacrifice of an animal. And the word of God tells us that God, not Adam, made garments of skin for them. And that covering of of their sin was symbolic for them, but it was symbolic for us until the lamb of God comes. And then the lamb of God himself will come to cover Our sin. And so we could spend weeks on on all of this, the implications of just this covenant. We just don't have the time. So the next covenant we'll go over is the Noahic Covenant. And this obviously is a covenant with Noah. This is probably a familiar story to us as well. If you if you don't know the story of Noah, you probably have seen the cartoons and you've seen the flannel graphs and those kind of things. And on that flannel graph in my Sunday school was a big ark and there was a happy little Noah and a happy little Mrs. Noah, right? And there was a giraffe and an elephant and all those things poking through the windows of the ark, right? The actual story of Noah isn't so wonderful. God was watching his creation become more and more sinful. Worse and worse. And the, moral, the morals of the people were just deplorable. And so look at this verse in Genesis chapter six. It says the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. Verse eight, but Noah found favor, with the Lord. So God chooses at this moment to make another covenant. This time with, with Noah, look at verse 18 says, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, and bring a pair of every animal, male and a female into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. So Noah and his family uh, were instructed to build this gigantic boat. What we don't read here in the pages, or if we don't understand maybe the geography of what of the Bible is Noah didn't live next to the shore. He might not have even lived next to a river. And so why in the world before the rain even starts, is this guy building this giant boat on dry land? And then he is told, Go and get every animal and bring them into the ark. Later, he is told, I want you to bring seven of every clean animal, the animals that the Hebrew law considers clean. So, why? Why would God have Noah bring in two of all the animals, but seven extra of only the clean animals? Remember, this is a covenant that God is making with Noah. And Noah would have known immediately when God asked that, when God tells him, if I do as God says, if I obey God, if I build this silly boat and gather together all of these stinky animals. God is preparing to make a covenant with me. And so how does he know that? Why on earth would anyone on dry land away from the sea make a giant boat? Why would he gather two of all the animals to bring with him? Why does he do it? And why does God say, Bring seven of all the clean animals, Noah, because this is an opportunity for God to be in a covenant with Noah. All right. So Noah does exactly that. And he does, as God says, and if you know the story, the world completely floods and Noah waits for the waters to subside. And I'm sure this whole time he is waiting for this opportunity. He's waiting for God to give him an opportunity to make a covenant with him. But it wasn't until the rain stopped and it wasn't until the waters start to go down and, and the boat runs aground when Noah gets out and he builds an altar to the Lord. And then the covenant happens. Noah sacrifices the animals. And so listen to the rest of the story. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and there he sacrifices burnt offerings, the animals and the birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself I will never again curse the ground because of the human race even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood I will never again destroy all living things as go- as long as the earth remains there will be planting and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night So why did Noah need seven of every clean animal? Because if he only had two and he was going to make a covenant with God, which means one of them is going to have to be sacrificed. If he was going to kill one of those animals and there were only two, no more of that animal, right? No more covenant. So there had to be extra. There had to be extra. That's why seven of them had to come on board instead of just the two because God knew Noah was going to need these animals for his covenant with him. And in every covenant, there's this memorial that both parties would remember the significance of the covenant. And remember last week when When Brock and I became blood brothers, when we talked about having a mark on our body, Noah didn't receive a physical mark, but God is going to leave Noah one in the sky. What symbol is it that God left in the sky to remind him of the covenant? The rainbow. So every time that you see a rainbow, remember that this was a sign of a covenant with Noah. And every time you see that rainbow, remember that God may just be asking you to do something that on the surface seems pretty crazy. It's pretty risky. And it may take a whole lot of faith, but let that remember, Rainbow reminds you that there is also a tremendous blessing when we obey the Lord. If Noah hadn't obeyed, you and I wouldn't be here. So we're going to skip to this covenant that we spoke about last week the covenant with Abram. Okay, so God speaks to Abram and he tells him, you can follow along in, in your notes you're online, you have those notes as well. You can get those out. So it says, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All families on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram obeys and he does what the Lord says. And in Genesis chapter 15 is when we see God starting to make this covenant with Abram and Abram and his family have traveled now for a long time. And Abram is kind of getting a little, getting a little cranky, right? And they've been traveling and he's tired and he says, Hey, We've been traveling a really long time. Where is this land, God? And God says, Abram, chill out, dude. I don't know why I make God talk like a Generation Xer like me, but it just helps me to think that God called Abram, dude. So, Abram, chill out, dude. I promised you. Just hang on, man. We'll get to that. And Abram says, God, really? How do I know? how do I know that you're leading me to this land? What proof do I have that you're actually going to come through on this promise? And listen to what the Lord says in Genesis 15, verse 9. The Lord says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all of these to him and killed them. He cut each animal down the middle, laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. This is important. We're going to get to this in a little bit. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. A terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, "'You can be sure,' that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, in the end they will come away with great wealth. So in other words, blessed shall you be Abram if you keep this covenant. Remember the blessings and the curses Go to verse seventeen. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants, all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. A couple of things to talk about, and we'll close for today. Remember, Abram has been traveling for a while. Abram is tired. Abram is kind of cranky. And he says, God, what proof do I have that you're actually going to keep your word? And God says, go get some sacrificial animals. And Abram knew exactly why. In fact, he kills them. He sacrifices them. He cuts them in half himself. And then the birds of prey... Or the vultures, as some versions say, sweep down to devour the sacrifice. Why is this important? Multiple times in the Word of God, you're going to see this symbolism over and over. Multiple times, you're going to see the birds of prey or the vultures that are used to represent the presence of our enemy, the presence of Satan. And so Abram is just about to have the most important day of his entire life. A covenant is going to be made with the creator of the world. A covenant is going to be made with God Almighty. A covenant is going to be made with Jehovah, with Yahweh. This is the most significant thing that has ever happened to Abram in his entire life. And isn't it just like our enemy to sweep down? And try to devour that moment from you. But remember one of the steps in the covenant. Is the exchange of enemies. And so the vultures the birds of prey sweep down. And Abram takes care of them. Abram is the one that shoos them away. And on the surface it seems like well this isn't a big deal. Of course he would do that. He's just keeping some nasty birds from missing with the sacrifice. But this is more than that if those birds represent the enemy of God, if those birds represent Satan trying to his best to rid the world of this covenant between Abram and God, Abram is the one that says, oh no, no, not today, Satan. It's not gonna happen. You're not gonna be in the middle of this. This is between God and I. This is between God and my descendants. You can't get involved here. So remember this in a couple of weeks that Satan or Abram tells Satan, you can't be here. You must flee. So next week, we're going to look at this new covenant, uh, our covenant in the New Testament. And you're going to recognize that the enemy is trying to sweep in and destroy the covenant that we have with God. And he's going to try everything that he can to discourage you. And he is going to try every trick in his book to get you to break the covenant. And just like Adam, Noah, and Abram, you are charged to tend and to guard the covenant. So here's the second thing of note here. And this one is amazing to me. In fact, this is the part of the covenant that was the most life-changing to me. In Abram's biggest moment of his life, the most significant thing that has ever happened to him, what does he do? He takes a nap, right? He falls asleep. Some versions say that it was God that made him fall asleep, and that's probably correct. And those, uh, I think, those versions are more accurate because the literal translation of that word that he fell asleep means that he was in sort of a spiritual trance in a way—a sleep that was used for God to make spiritual revelations. So why would Abram do this, or why would God make Abram fall asleep? The answer is found in the next steps here. And in a dream, Abram is dreaming in this vision. He sees this flaming torch and a smoking pot remember, go through the middle of the sacrificed animals. So what's happening here? What part is of the covenant is happening here? Abram sacrificed the animals, but before he could ever complete the walk of death himself, he fell asleep. The most important part of that covenant and Abram takes a nap, the walk of death. But instead, a flaming torch and a smoking pot pass through the two halves of the animals. And this is so significant. But I think if we don't understand the covenant, we just read this and we, it just seems weird and we move on right? And again, throughout the Bible, you're going to see references over and over again of God and Jesus being referred to as a flaming torch, a pillar of fire, a burning bush, a smoking pot. And every single time you see that, it is God being symbolic of representing himself in that fire. So God makes Abram fall asleep and God completes the walk of death himself. This is huge. Why this is so important to Abram and so important to us because remember this covenant passes on to us today. We are his descendants. See God knows that the the success of this covenant is conditional Remember, the covenant must be kept. The, The covenant had blessings if you kept it, and the covenant has curses on you if you don't. And God knows that Abram and his descendants will never, in our power, ever keep this covenant. God knows that mankind is weak. God knows that we have a freedom of choice. God knows we have free will. God knows that we have the will to make stupid decision after stupid decision if left to ourselves. He knows that we would eat from that tree. He knows that we would choose to sit on that judgment seat. God knows this covenant is going to be broken. And so God completes the walk of death himself. And he represents himself and he represents us. So what? Remember, this is the single most important thing that God could have done to Abram. And if we think about it, what would have happened if Abram failed? Which God knows he's going to do. There's no descendants, there's no land, There's no blessings. There's only a curse. There would be no chosen people. There would be no Hebrew nation. None of God's people would ever inhabit the land that he promised him. That's if the covenant is broken. So by taking both parts in the walk of death himself, God showed Abram and to us the real meaning of love. God is putting his life on the line. God is putting his honor on the line for us. And if Abram breaks the covenant, if any of his descendants ever break the covenant, all the way to us, God will be the one that has to pay the price. You have to be in that covenant though for God to pay that price for you. And that brings us to the 10th step of the covenant, the exchange of sons. And so Trevor Lindenfeltzer, we're going to Red Lobster after this and good day to be part of the covenant with the Etok family. And uh, guys, you can have Isaiah or Ian take your pick. So kidding guys, so. So why did God complete that walk of death himself? Because he knew his son is gonna take the punishment for a broken covenant. He knew Jesus was gonna be our sacrifice. And he knew Jesus was gonna be our sacrificial animal. And God was willing to take on your curse on himself. So next week we're gonna learn all about how Jesus has fulfilled every single one of these steps of the covenant. And we're gonna have communion with one another. And we are gonna have a covenant meal with one another in communion. And it's my prayer that that your eyes are opened to exactly what that means for us today. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we know now that Jesus or yeah, Jesus was never Plan B, <laughs> from the very beginning of time. Lord, with your covenant that you made with Abram, Abraham, you prove to us just how much you love us, that you are willing to take our curse upon yourself. Knowing, Lord, that we wouldn't keep this covenant perfectly. But we know you can. And we know you did. And so, Lord, may we see Jesus' sacrifice as part of that covenant with us the exchange of our son. And, Lord, we thank you for your son who paid that price. For us breaking the covenant, Lord, would you be with us as we go on our day today? May you allow these things to come into our mind throughout the week. Would you, would you, Lord, would you fuel a hunger within us to get into your Word and to find the significance uh, of your of your Word of your Bible? And and Lord, would you use this series to? to just allow the Bible, to allow your word to come alive as we see, Lord, that this covenant was your plan from the beginning of time. And we, we get to be covenantal partners with the one who created the earth. Wow. We love you, Jesus. We thank you so much for wanting to be in a covenant with us. And Lord, we ask for your blessings as we go. Uh, Would you be with us tonight as we celebrate our our young ones and our kids' zones got talent? Would you be with those that are performing tonight? Just help calm their nerves and help them do as good as they possibly can. And we as a church will be there to, uh, to root them on and give them a round of applause and just to show your love to all of our kids tonight. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for being here with us today. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. Love you guys, you're dismissed.